So all of this occurred between 2011 and 2018. And because of the length of time, times the money, times the number of participants in the scheme, it's the largest college admissions scam ever prosecuted by the Department of Justice. Hey there, I'm Lily, and you're listening to Mindful Admissions, a podcast by Strive to Learn. Welcome to the season three premiere episode of Mindful Admissions, uh, where we're going to talk about something called Operation Varsity Blues. That might ring a bell for you because of the phrase popping up on television and in the news recently, um, recently being in the last couple of years. But if it doesn't ring a bell for you, all you really need to know is that Operation Varsity Blues is considered the largest college admissions scandal in history. It was a scam pulled off by a man named Rick Singer, who called himself an independent college counselor, which you'll hear our counselors refute the use of that term in just a couple of minutes. Um, and he basically opened what he called the side door into college, which involved bribery of college officials and collecting millions and millions of dollars from parents to get their kids into so-called desirable schools. I wanted to get the team together to hear their opinion on the scandal and also to get an insider perspective on how college counselors feel about this incident. After all, Rick Singer used the term independent college counselor. That's what we are at Strive. So what makes us different from Rick Singer? And how can we kind of reclaim that term in order to disassociate it with him, with his scam, with his lies, and with this idea that you can pay more or cheat somehow to get into college? All right, I think that's about it. Let's hear from the team. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me today to talk about Operation Varsity Blues. Uh, before we get started, I was wondering if we could just go around and introduce ourselves, um, maybe starting with William. Yeah. Hi, um, Lily. It's nice to be speaking with you today and uh, my fellow uh, podcast participants. Um, so my name is William Jackie, and I'm an independent educational consultant for Strive to Learn. Hi, I'm Josephine Borman, and I'm also an independent educational consultant and the founder of Strive to Learn. Hi, um, I'm Rachel Heilbrunner, and I am also an independent educational consultant with Strive to Learn. Happy to be here. Yay. Uh, and I'm Lily, and I do this podcast, and that's pretty much it. Uh, I'm really excited to talk about this today. This is actually Operation Varsity Blues is something that I have wanted to talk about with you guys for a long time. Uh, ever since I actually watched the documentary that came out on Netflix in, I believe it was early 2021. Um, so before we get started talking about like all of the details of this, I wanted to give everyone listening the abbreviated story um, of this scandal. So uh, there was an independent college counselor named Rick Singer who offered to many parents what he called the side door into college, which without getting too into it was really just bribing college officials, bribing test proctors, inflating test scores, uh, and finding all of these kind of what, as he described them, side doors. So at least I want to say 50 something people have been charged for paying Singer in between $500,000 and several million to get their kids into schools like Yale, Harvard, um, UCLA, et cetera, et cetera. And that isn't even like the, the beginning of it because when Singer was charged for all of these things, he said that he procured admission illegally for over 750 people. All these people um, included celebrities, hedge fund bankers, doctors, lawyers, et cetera. And some students, it seems, were perfectly aware of what was going on and even participated in this deception. And some 
also seemed completely unaware that their parents had employed Singer to get them a better SAT score or to add them to the water polo roster at a school. Um, you can imagine it goes on. So all of this occurred between 2011 and 2018. And because of the length of time, times the money, times the number of participants in the scheme, it's the largest college admission scam ever prosecuted by the Department of Justice. There are now innumerable articles, interviews, court report documents, um, books, and as I said, a Netflix special on this scandal. So it's been thoroughly abused when it comes to media and entertainment. Um, but we're going to do it again <laughs> because I wanted to do something different. I want to hear from college counselors about your perspective on this whole thing, partly because I think it's clear that, uh, first of all, we are not that kind of college counseling company, but also I kind of wanted you guys to reclaim the name. Like I'm annoyed that this is part of your, not your personal, but college counseling's reputation overall. Um, and I don't really want that to paint people's perspective because I've had years now to see what you do and the way, the care that you put into what you do. So I wanted to give you more of a voice <laughs> into this um, event. So um, initially, I'm just wondering, what are your thoughts about this whole thing? Have you heard this story before? What, what are kind of your first impressions of it? Yeah, um, so I had heard the story. I, I remember reading about it uh, when, when it first broke. Um, and what I remember is getting texts from like my mom sent me a text, you know, cause she knows what I do. And, um, you know, I think just like my wife maybe as well was at work and she saw it and texted me about it. And yeah, it just, it came up in conversations with, you know, extended family and acquaintances for a little bit after that. I remember it was, it was pretty big. It was, um, on a lot of people's minds and just, you know, details started to come out more and more. And there was also the, um, the added feature of celebrities being involved and, you know, especially like for my generation, celebrities who were, who were, you know, on some really prominent TV shows in like the eighties and nineties that we have a connection to, you know, so there was definitely a personal connection, I think, and in that odd way for a lot of people. And so, yeah, I, I heard about it and, you know, I took it upon myself to read about it a little bit too. So, um, you know, I only recently watched the um, the documentary on Netflix, um, but you know, before that, I had read just you know some of the details pieced together from from various articles, and you know, pretty appalled. I was I was pretty pretty appalled and shocked by it at the time. Uh, not that it could happen, just you know, anytime you see um, this kind of behavior, anytime you see someone just really flagrantly take advantage of loopholes and systems, even though it's set up for that to happen, you know, it's always a little bit of a shock when when someone actually does it. And you know, that's something that not to get too far ahead, but that's something that does come up in the documentary. I know is one of the talking points is like you know, there's a lot of people that could have done this, you know, and the fact that this person did it, you know, kind of is a little bit of an ethics check, you know, like, are, are you willing to do that? So again, I don't want to get too far ahead, but those are the kinds of things that, that came to mind for me when it first happened. Yeah. And I want to come back to that. Um, it, what you said was it's set up for that to happen. And I think you were talking about just the system overall. So I, I really want to come back to that because that feels important. I just remember um, that I hadn't listened to the news that day um, when it, the news kind of broke. And I remember we got a text on our, you know, Strive to Learn um, cell phone number that we all kind of keep an eye on. That's where people schedule with us, people check in, things like that. And one of them was like, 
I think one of them was actually asking like, do you guys do it? Is that the kind of counselors you are? And the other one was like, thank you so much for like not being like that. Like all the work that you've done with my child has nothing to do with what I just learned about this person did. Um, And so I remember that that was like my first impression of it where I was like, what are they talking about? And I was like, William, did you see that? And he's like, yeah, there's something on the news. So I was just really shocked and um, just, I feel for the kids. I think that's my biggest takeaway. The students who didn't know that this was happening, they were extremely deceived. So the deception of those kids um, whose parents behind their back got them a higher SAT score and got them in by pretending they're a student athlete and paying all this money. Where are they now? What are they thinking? What what has that done to their self-confidence, to to their ability to introspect and reflect, to their ability to find the place where they want to be for four years and, and feel like they belong and, and their sense of self and worth um, and their own question of ethics about their parents. Um, so my heart just really went out to them as well as to other students who didn't get in because someone deceived the system, someone else who, you know, put in a really honest effort and could have had that spot based on their um, own effort and hard work. Um, and now that spot was no longer available. So yeah, my heart just, um, and my thoughts go, go a lot to the students, um, and, and seeing, you know, how are they moving forward from that? Yeah, definitely. I echo both of the sentiments that William and Josephine, um, expressed and, you know, um, I think overall it's just, it gives what we do a bad name and, uh, yet there's so many, this is, I think this is kind of, um, a, a profession that's still very much growing and that nobody is really in it for the money. And we're still trying to um, legitimize what it's about. And so a scandal like this can really kind of tarnish um, the name of all these very good people um, who have great intentions and, um, and are wanting the best for students. And, um, you know, I know that's our goal is just finding the best fit and making sure families are getting what they need, building that confidence for students. Like, Josephine was saying, this probably tore them down quite a bit. So um, yeah, so Lily, I appreciate you, you know, wanting to cover the topic and make sure that we're, we're getting a good name out there for this profession. Yeah, absolutely. And my personal experience of working with you guys and, and just being part of the Strive team as well, I got to receive college counseling and also be in a, a group of people who care so deeply about college counseling. Um, so yeah, it felt like a personal attack, which I know it wasn't, but as you said, Josephine about taking spots, it was like, okay, well, it's part of my job now to make sure that people know college counselors, real college counselors have a very good, have very good intentions and have strong ethics, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, speaking of ethics, I just wanted to mention, so Strive follows the IECA principles of good practice, as they're called, which is this ethical code. Um, and I was reading through it uh, recently in preparation for this podcast episode. It has some really great stuff. It's, it's very detailed. Um, and it got me thinking about the kind of ethical promises that you guys make to yourselves and also to your students before you begin working together. Um, and I was wondering if anybody would mind talking about just the, the attitude of ethics that you bring into your work and what that means to you. 
Yeah, I think um, the whole profession, I think it's important to understand the profession, right? We're independent educational consultants. That's the name of our job. Um, we're independent because we don't work for a school and we're educational consultants because we help consult with families who are trying to figure out what educational route is best for, for them. And one of the first things that we wrote into our contract is our priority um, and our main, um, the priority of the services we offer always lies with the well-being of the student. And that's really important. We are here for the students and we are not here to push parents' ideas on students. Some parents ask us that and say, uh, you know, I really want um, my kid to apply to, to this school, um, but he won't listen to me. So you need to tell him that he has to do that. And that's where we really clearly say, no, that is not part of our scope. I can suggest that school and have a conversation about it with your student. I'm happy to do that, to explore this option. Um, but I will never tell your student where to apply. This is the student's choice. So our profession is really there to explore the idea of fit to encourage reflection and introspection on the student's end and to provide and widen the options that they know about that are actually available to them. Um, it is not to get someone in somewhere. Um, I see students getting in much more as an kind of as a side effect of all the work that we do for the year or two that we are meeting with our students one-on-one. -on -one. And, and, and I'm gonna repeat that, we are meeting with our students one-on-one. -on -one. We are not meeting with the parents. This is not about, again, pushing the parents' ideas on anyone. This is about us connecting with the student. And then we have a few family meetings throughout the year to, of course, key the parents in, talk about financial realities of paying for college, things like that, right? Um, so, so I think that's just really important. Um, the getting in part is an effect. It's not the goal. The goal of our profession of independent educational consulting is to be that bounce board for the student to help them understand their options, to help them broaden their mind, to help them deepen their introspection so that they understand what would be a good fit for them. It's much beyond getting in. It's much more about where will I fit in once I'm there and how will I be able to really um, thrive grow, challenge, and enjoy my life and start into adulthood. I don't know if I answered any part of your question, but that was just something I really wanted to share. <laughs> I, I really think that you did because, uh, you know, regardless of specific <laughs> ethical, you know, boundaries, uh, everything that you said really communicated the intention that you have for your students and, and the, the, um, the light that guides you, I want to say. So I understand. Um, yeah, I really like I really like what you said, Josephine. You know, because I think it's really important for students to understand that, um, especially if, you know, I don't know how many students are watching this documentary or reading the stories or anything like that. I know a lot of parents are, but you know, especially if they get the idea that the way that we work with students is similar to, um, you know, Mr. Singer in the in this case um, where it just felt so much like and I'm you know I know that the documentary dramatizes this I, I was a film major I know how, how documentaries work but 
it just conveyed this this kind of vibe of making these like secret you know black market deals on these like phones and living in these like you know luxurious homes and just this this real vibe of like sliminess and you know dishonesty and not actually working with a a teenager you know working with um a parent who you know might might have different priorities and i think we can acknowledge even when there are good intentions um not everyone parents you know, ethically, or um, in ways that are um, ultimately good for for their child, even if they believe they are, you know, even if the intentions are good. So, so anyway, I, you know, I just think it's important um, for students to understand that the dynamic is more of a uh, connection, more of a relationship between, you know, me as the consultant, Josephine, Rachel as the consultant, and you as a student, and we're working together, and we're a team, you know, and, you know, the parent is part of the team too. Um, parent or parents are part of the team. So it's not that they're completely excluded, but we're not cutting any backroom deals for anyone. That's not happening. Um, so I also wanna just mention it, you know, in regards to, you know, what you had asked Lily about um, ethics um, and kind of like the code that, that we um, adhere to. We definitely are not in the business of making promises and um, especially empty promises, but really, honestly, we, we don't make promises at all other than we promise that we are in your corner. You know, we promise that, that we don't have ulterior motives. Um, we really just wanna help. We enjoy doing what we do. Um, we happen to have more knowledge about this world of college admissions than you know the average person does and we have the opportunity you know to for our occupation you know our, the work that we do to involve that and to help students and you know there's more to it than that but if i could you know i think in, in some ways we can boil it down to that sort of a promise like we we have the chance to help you based on something that we can provide for you and that's what we want to do and we enjoy doing it you know so um between us and the student that that idea of we're not making empty promises to you is really important. And that leads to some, you know, we have to sometimes deliver hard truths, but I think that that's part of what our training, you know, for this job prepared us for. That's definitely something that, um, you know, that we learned in our, um, in our education, you know, the, the, the classes that we took, the educational training that we did to prepare, prepare for this occupation. And also just, you know, through work experience, I think we've all had to have, have had to have hard conversations. <laughs> that was a mouthful, I'm sorry. Um, about, you know, uh, for example, uh, if you have, you know, if you have a, a 2.8 GPA, you can go to college and you can get a great education, but I'm not gonna promise to you that you're gonna get into Harvard because you're not probably, you know, those, there are certain realities like that where you just have to be aware of, of how these kinds of decisions work for college admissions offices. There just are certain hard realities that we have to deliver sometimes. But, you know, the nice thing is we know that a lot of times the things that we have to be harshly honest about, there is a silver lining to it, or there's a there's a even better truth behind it, you know, and a lot of that is that example of college fit. Um, you know, yeah, you might not be able to get into Harvard, but how do you know you would like it there? How do you know you would benefit from it? You're going on a lot of hearsay that that's, you know, the, the best college that that it's largely based on things that you can't verify. So why are you putting that much stock into it? You know, so I think that um, part part of of what's really important from an ethical standpoint is just, you know, really being honest. Truth is is the big one, I think.
Yeah, absolutely. I think it's clear from, like you said, I know how documentaries work. They're great at dramatizing events. But to me, it, it, it's very clear that, that none of the parents necessarily who paid Mr. Singer for his services were like, I really want my kid to go to Yale because I think it's really going to fulfill them emotionally and they're going to be, become very well-rounded and happy human beings. It was like, I want yeah. my kid to go to Yale because of the prestigious nature of the school and because they'll get a high paying job and they'll have, so it really is about kind of reframing why you're going to college. <laughs> like, I think a lot of those parents could have benefited from somebody like you saying, hey, why do you want your kid to go to Yale? Like, is that going to make, is that really going to make them a, a better person? Or are they going to be happier? And yeah, I absolutely agree with what you said. Um, I guess I also just want to mention just in terms of the ethical standards that we, um, that we work off of this principles of good practice, um, that is through the Internet Independent Educational Consultants Association, or IECA, as we've mentioned. Um, it goes beyond just our relationships with families. It's about relationships with um, schools and other counselors or consultants, um, other people who might be able to help families with their financial planning um, and everything really that we do and, and how we operate. Um, and so, you know, we, we take these to heart and very seriously. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, I wanted to mention that as well. Yeah, and I, I think it's so important that um, William also mentioned the um, classes we take, right? Um, in preparation for this profession. Um, the mentorship we give each other as a team here at Strive to Learn, I think is hugely important as well there's ever an ethically gray or weird area, we bring that up and discuss it as a team and figure out what, what is right here, what feels right. Um, and we're all members of the IECA that Rachel just talked about. We attend conferences twice a year for, from that um, specific organization and other conferences like HECA, um, <clears throat> NAC, NACAC, NACAC, uh, there are all these organizations that bring together professionals. And I just want to point out that Rick Singer was not a member of any of these organizations. And these organizations, especially IECA, set the golden standard that we all want to rise to. Like our daily goal when we get up in the morning to work with our students is to uphold that code of ethics. And that is really important. Rick Singer was not a member of any of these, nor did he ever attend any of their conferences. I think that's just so important to point out, nor did he do any of the certificate programs that we have done um, at, at the in the UC system, um, nor was he a certified educational planner, which is a really high level certification process that you can do in our profession. Um, and so he really was not at all part of our uh, professional organizational network that really ensures that we always ask ourselves, what is right and what is wrong? And how do I hold myself to my highest standard and continue striving towards growing in that way even more? And he was not part of any of that. He made up yeah. his own rules. Yeah, that really helps um, flesh out our definition of counselor. Because <laughs> we can say, you know, every counselor can counsel, but not every person who counsels is actually a counselor. <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you guys very much. I, I wanted to switch gears and, and go back to something that Josephine mentioned earlier, just about having so much sympathy for students 
um, who, who didn't get this boost or who don't get the opportunities to be supported in this process. Um, because I think that at, at the heart of this, this issue is a question of, of privilege because it's just affluent families, usually white families who can really afford to just remove obstacles in the path to prestigious colleges for their children. Um, and I pulled this quote from uh, Time Magazine from author Nicole Laporte, who wrote Guilty Admissions, the Bribes, Favors, and Phonies Behind the College Cheating Scandal. So um, this quote is about white privilege at the center of the scandal. Unless there are real changes at the college level in terms of what they're asking of students and how many of them they're letting in, if freshman class sizes were enlarged, for example, there would be less scarcity. The frantic desperation that led to varsity blues will live on. So obviously you guys as counselors can't change admission stats or remove class caps, but in your opinion, what role should college counselors play in increasing access for lesser privileged students? Yeah, I, you know, that's, it's a really interesting question and a really interesting issue because I think it goes in a lot of ways, it goes to um, the heart of the entire system and, and the institutions that make it up um, and are part of it. Um, there are these factors that are, you know, generally represented um, numerically through statistics, through things like acceptance rate that, um, and, you know, acceptance rate, just to be clear on what that is, is, is basically out of the total number of students who apply, what percentage of those got an acceptance decision, basically got, you know, accepted to that college when they applied. And so that percentage is acceptance rate. Um, there, the, the documentary does a good job of, of uh, and some of the, um, the interviewees in the documentary do a good job of pointing out that, um, you know, prestige tends to be connected to acceptance rate in a lot of ways, um, in, where if you take, uh, if you kind of zoom out and take a look at it, um, <clears throat> that that is not like a correlation that implies causation, meaning, you know, there, there's not, those two things are not necessarily, should not necessarily be connected so closely the way they are, you know, which is to say, just because a college is hard to get into does not mean it's good. Um, and I, I really like um, the, although just, you know, it might seem like a side point, but the word prestige and what its original French meaning was, I think being deception, um, that's really, that's, I like that. I love wordplay and I love like origins and roots of words. So I really enjoyed hearing that. Um, and it reminded me of the movie, The Prestige Side Thought, which is about magic. But, um, you know, I think some of the, what we can really help with, I think, are perceptions um, in, in one way. There, there's other ways we can help too. And I, and I don't want to totally dodge, um, you know, the, what's, what's at the heart of this question. But I think we can really um, help students and parents with perceptions of what is a good education. You know, what is a, or, or more better put, what is a good fit education? What is a good fit path for you as a student? You know, um, I think just helping students to understand that there are so many good colleges out there and most of them accept more than half of the students who apply. Just because you have these, you know, elite colleges that only accept, you know, four or 5% of students who apply, that doesn't mean that, that those colleges are numerically, you know, that much better or even better at all in terms of the quality of, uh, you know, the, the educational experience that they're delivering and how they can help students, 
reach their goals because you know every student has a different goal for going to college it's it's not a one-size-fits-all thing um, some students want to prepare for a, entering into a career some want to explore academic curiosity some want to uh, expand their social network and just you know do self-exploration and discover more about who they are and try things out and those are all really valid reasons and usually it's some combination of them it's not just you know extremes like that but you know I think just we can help a lot with cutting through myths and cutting through um, false perceptions in society. I think um, that that's a, one really big way that we can, um, in, you know, in, in a way, sort of increase access for underprivileged students because we can help those, you know, those students when we have the opportunity to work with them understand that, um, you know, that there are so many good opportunities for you um, that are available to you and we can help you find those ways. You know, that's part of what we could do with the knowledge that we have and the connections that we have, you know, in the industry and, and the professional network. So I, one thing I think we can do, although it's true that we can't actually change anything about enrollments at colleges, um, we can change or we can contribute to altering people's minds about what really is a good education and how accessible is a good education. There are many, the sad truth is there are obstacles. I don't want to sugarcoat the fact that it's, there's a lot of problems with the, the system and the fact that it leaves a lot of students um, without the same level of opportunity. You know, I, I think we all believe that students should have equal opportunity for higher education. And, you know, um, it's not even so cut and dry as saying we can do something at the admissions level to change that. There's years of institutional problems with, you know, uh, the K through 12 system, honestly, that are contributing to things. So it's much bigger than just saying we can change something about college enrollment. But at the same time, you know, I, I think there are aspects of what we can do in our profession and, and the way that we interact with students and families. And a lot of it is educating them. Yeah, William, I love that you, I just want to say this for, since this is a podcast that you did put air quotes around elite. <laughs> I think that's a really important um, Thank you. tone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just want to repeat what you said more than over. So the majority of colleges, more than half of colleges, which is a majority, right? Accept over 50% of applicants. So I just want to let that sink in. You, you said that very quickly, and I think it's so important. While I believe there are less than 50 colleges that have an acceptance rate lower than 10 or 12%, right? And those are the colleges you keep hearing about. So that whole like idea of the, the word prestige coming from the word deception, I think so many students have become deceived and parents that you must get into one of those top 50 universities to amount to anything and even even in the in the documentary somewhere like you know the parents didn't even go to college they're very successful and they really wanted their their daughter to go to usc right um and it's their dream their they their kids can live the parents dream that they never had and so i just feel like this um you know this is the problem um like all the students that we saw and, and so many students we actually work with, right, have such high anxiety. Um, you saw these outtakes of students like crying so many tears about not getting in or getting deferred. They, they did that pretty well in the, in the documentary, having these little moments, right, of students who weren't affected, who had nothing to do with the scandal, just to show the high intensity um, of 
of this process. And I think that like the solution is not easy. The solution is it's in our culture. We have to change our culture. And this is something that, um, you know, I like compared to European college going culture, this is very American. Um, of course there are other, there are other countries where this is similar, um, especially if we go to you know, to non-European, non-American continents, but um, it is a very American thing, I think, at its core um, in the current culture. And so we really need to work on changing mindsets at that core, how, and, and the mindset we need to shift is that getting into a college is, should never, ever be a measure of individual worth, right? And that's what these students are feeling. I am, of failure. I am not worthy. I'm not going to amount to anything. I didn't get in because there's something wrong with me. These are these like all or nothing attitudes towards like, you know, air quote success is really detrimental to mental health and to confidence. And it really leaves no room for self-reflection, for individual growth, for intrinsic motivation, for empathy towards yourself and towards others. And those, those qualities I just mentioned, those are really what we need in that generation of tomorrow. And I think you pointed that out pretty well, William, that it starts in the K through 12 system. I, it starts with parents at home, right? Um, I mean, what you hear, if, if your dad's flying the flag of USC since you were you know, six months old and you're dressing you in the colors, like there, there's already that pressure right there. Um, but you know, we do have an opportunity, teachers have an opportunity um, in the K through 12 system to talk about and reframe what success and worth means. And is that getting the grade because then that would, or the ACT score, because that translates into the getting in, right? Um, so I think there's a lot of work we have to do. And I do think we come in there as well, but you know, Lily pointed out a really big thing, privilege. Um, and in the in the documentary, you know, they, they pulled up data about SAT and ACT scores being correlated with income level, right? Um, and the higher your income, better your SAT, ACT score. And why is that? Because those are the people who can prepare better. They can pay for test prep. Um, and we offer test prep, right? Strive to Learn offers test prep and we offer college admissions consulting. So, how do we deal with that on a daily basis that we are contributing to this gap? I think that's the core of Lily's question a little bit here, right? If we apply it to us and um, it's something I'm really uncomfortable with. Um, so we've really built that into our mission to actively work against contributing to the gap. So of course we're you know, we're a business, we have to live, we have to survive, we have to pay people's salaries. Um, we're here to help the students, but we don't want to help students who only students whose parents have the money to pay us. So we've implemented a couple different aspects. Um, first of all, we're doing this podcast and we have an active blog because we really want to share our knowledge um, with anyone who needs it. So we're really hoping to reach a lot of people. So please tell people about our podcast, about our YouTube channel, all of that, because that's the whole idea of creating access. We also have a lot of pro bono students and we have students who pay partial. Um, so we do a need-based scholarship to strive to learn um, kind of um, approach where if your family faces a lot of need, we try to um, assess that need in the same way a college would by running your um, estimated family contribution. Um, and 
that way, hopefully we can somehow cover part of, you know, let's just call it the, the tuition to strive to learn. Um, and we have basically students who are completely pro bono as well, um, as well as doing partnerships with local organizations like um, the Newport Beach Public Library, for example. So, so you know, it, it really irked me <laughs> that um, this Rick guy, <laughs> Rick Singer, <laughs> had this foundation and kept talking about helping underprivileged children. And I was ready to throw my laptop against the wall because I was watching it on my laptop and it made me really, really angry because that's exactly what most independent educational consultants want to do and are doing and are using their hard earned money towards. They're redistributing that to have pro bono students to volunteer their time to their community um, and to really create those opportunities so that they can counteract widening the gap, but still subsist on a living wage. Because although a college counselor may seem like a luxury item and pricey, in the end, the amount of time that goes into all of the professional development, all of the college visits, uh, all of these things that we do behind the scenes so that we will always be up to date and so knowledgeable on anything college related and can really help you and your family. You know, all of that, plus trying to really give our knowledge to the community, trying to have those pro bono students. And then this guy comes and, and uses a foundation and, and like pretends to be helping people while really he's taking away stuff. He's misusing accommodations that are really, really necessary for students who have learning differences, who have ADHD, and he's just abusing all of this. I mean, I, I wrote down, um, you know, a little angry smiley with the eyes and eyebrows like this on, on my little notes that I have here um, because it just twisted my stomach. And um, yeah, that was a little bit of a rant, but I think that privilege, test scores and college admissions, it's a huge topic that we always need to continue talking about. Um, and that's one of the things I really enjoy about our conferences. Um, at the last ICA conference, there were a lot of topics, um, a lot of sessions on diversity and on um, identity on um, um, pe people who are biracial, people of color, um, how can we really support um, any and every student, LGBTQA plus community, right? Transgender, like we have so many different students and there are so many different realms of identities and belongings and all of this affects your journey towards your adulthood and we're a big part of that. So that is, that is something to always continue going into. Yeah. And, and to me, as you're listing off all these identities, those are also, those are things that colleges value and like want to hear about. And if you just <laughs> wrote a great essay about your experience and, and really, um, if, if you are counseled to, to really embrace that, like those are all things that can be advantages in the college process. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's offensive <laughs> to think of Mr. Singer as a counselor. I agree with you. Um, yeah, definitely yeah. misuse of that word, I would say, or, yeah. or consultant or independent educational anything. Um, I would like to strike that from his resume as ever having been um, a descriptor of what he did. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, yeah, the U.S. Department of Justice agrees with you. 
Um, <laughs> so I wanted to ask you guys a question as well, um, because it's easy enough to say that parents shouldn't do something like this, or that, that this is just, you know, cut and dry. This is a terrible thing that parents did, which absolutely, it's a, it's a terrible act that was committed. But I also understand feeling intense frustration about not being able to help your kid do this thing that you feel is so important in their lives. And so it's important to me that we kind of talk about some alternatives. Um, not that there are a tremendous number of billionaires listening to this podcast who are like, ah, darn, I was going to, damn, that was my whole plan. <laughs> there goes my whole college plan. Um, but, you know, it's kind of like, how can we expect parents to not feel frustration about their helplessness in this process or their perceived helplessness in this process? So I would just like to hear from you guys. What can parents do to support their kids that doesn't involve like 50 million in bribes? <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, first of all, you know, for the, the first point that you mentioned or the first question, no, I, I 100% agree that um, it's fair to to definitely see the parent side in this, you know, and, and again, I, I acknowledge um, parental intentions are generally good. Um, you know, I think I'm a parent myself and, and I, I think, you know, being a parent, there, there's not a universe, I can't universally say that all parents are looking out for the welfare of their children, because there are definitely exceptions, but I do think that that's overwhelmingly true, that parents are generally looking out for the welfare of their children and have good intentions. I just think they're misguided in cases like this. Um, but, you know, I think um, part of, of, I think, what it seems to be a common trait for independent educational consultants is... Um, empathy and uh, cultivating and valuing empathy as a trait in, in ourselves. Um, and I think listening is, is something that we can do. I think part of what our role is in practice, not even just in theory, is the ability to listen, to provide an, um, you know, uh, an unbiased ear that, um, you know, it's almost, even though like we would call ourselves consultants, that's almost part of where we overlap into counseling a little bit because, you know, we, we do really value the human inter interaction of it. You know, we value the human connection. We're, we're not, um, you know, we're, we're not professionals who are, who are crunching numbers all day. You know, we, um, we really like appointments. We, you know, like meetings, we like meeting with students. We like meeting with families. Um, that's, you know, I think all of us really enjoy that. And that's something I've heard across the board, you know, from other IECs or, you know, consultants that I've networked with. And, you know, I think part of what we can do is we can just be a person, a human being there for them to acknowledge that things, yeah, it doesn't seem fair. I understand, you know, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's valid that you want to, uh, that you want to get into USC or Stanford. Absolutely. I, I would never make anyone feel bad for wanting to do these things and having it as high priority. If, if I have a student who comes to me and wants to apply to some, um, what we would call, you know, reach schools, but even the more extreme end of reach. And, and what reach means in general is generally um, when you look at the, the average um, traits and statistics of a student who gets admitted to, you know, X college, if, if it would be qualified as a reach school for a given student, it's because that student tends to be, um, tends to rank as below average. So there, there is a little bit of, you know, statistics and, and numbers that go into that. But the, that, the thing about that is, and this is where the human part of it comes in, is we're, I would never tell a student, you know, 
no way. Like there's, there's no, you know, what, like, what are you thinking? You know, what's wrong with you? Like, I would never go about it that way where I'm trying to make anyone feel, you know, dumb or stupid or where, you know, I would never tell a parent, you know, oh, what's wrong with you? You're crazy. Like your priorities are all messed up. Like that's, that's not how we go about truth telling either. It's when I say harsh truths, it's like, we, we really do, you know, feel for the situations that parents are in and students are in, and we're quite aware of how, you know, um, how hard it is, you know, how, how disappointing it can be, how frustrating the whole process can be, how frustrating the results uh, of the process can be. We're, we're very attuned to that and very mindful of that and, and sympathetic, you know, and I think um, that's one thing I would say um, that for parents is that they can also be that kind of a role for their student, you know, for their child. They can be someone who's providing encouragement, who is listening, um, who is there to support, who is, you know, playing sort of a coach role. Um, in some ways, that's what we do. We coach a little bit, you know, and I, and unfortunately, you know, I have to acknowledge that that's the, the world that Rick Singer comes from is coaching, but he was a bad coach. You know, he was an unethical coach. We, in some ways, think of what we do as, you know, good coaching, like really looking out for and, and helping students and families to, to find their feet and find their independence in the process and really own it, you know? So I, I think part of what, of what parents can do or what we can help parents do is, is understand what their role can be and how they can really be helpful, how they can most be helpful, you know, in, in this sort of a, um, a process. Yeah, I think um, parents can really encourage kind of that, that idea that the path should be the end goal and that success is growth. And so really that idea of a growth mindset rather than a fixed mindset, I think is really important to find that value in the growth that you experience as part of this journey towards adulthood, as part of this exploration and really exploring options. And I think that's where parents really have trouble because they may not know about a lot of options. Um, and that's kind of where our profession comes in, but parents can know about all these options. So I really encourage parents to go on, um, and students, of course, <laughs> but students are usually already on there, but um, go on um, websites like College Express and start looking through those lists. Start reading about colleges that you have never heard about and be positively surprised. Buy yourself a FISC guide to colleges, F-I-S-K-E, guide to colleges, and, and start perusing. Get yourself the book called um, Colleges That Change Lives. Go on their website too, ctcl.org, um, and start reading about these colleges. They also have um, free, totally free, um, um, virtual fairs. So Colleges That Change Lives, there's a bunch of fairs that you can go to. They usually happen in um, second semester. Um, so anytime in the spring leading into early summer, um, a lot of them are virtual now. So start opening your mind to options and start just exposing yourself to those things. Go to local colleges that maybe aren't in the top 50 or 100 of the nation as far as rankings of prestige go um, and listen what they have to say and take a look at their opportunities. I think your minds will be blown. So many students I even had a student, I had her tour the local community college because she was going to go to different, to a community college. And I said, okay, well, we have, uh, you know, several really good ones in the area. So let's treat this just like a college search. Don't just choose the one that's closest to you. I want you to tour each one. And she did. And she's like, 
wow, like the buildings there and the labs and the this and the that. I had no idea it was like that. I thought that was only at a four-year college. I'm like, yeah. So you will find your mind blown about different things that you find out when you actually just go and visit and take a look and engage in those conversations with your kid. Ask them, what are you worried about? What do you want? So really try to take your, um, your wishes for them, your goals for them. Like we know, you know, your kids really well, right? But give your child the chance to know themselves really well by not telling them what you know about them, but by asking them about themselves and asking them what is stressing you out. And then being cognizant of that and trying not to pile onto that. Um, Read some stuff together. Here's my, my last book recommendation. Where you go is not who you'll be. Read it as a family. Listen to it as an audiobook. You know, do a little book club every Saturday. You guys talk about the next 10 pages. Um, it's it's such a great book. So written by Frank Bruni. Um, really take a look at that. It's, you know, the subtitle of it is an antidote to the college admissions mania. And I think that's what we're dealing with here, right? Mania is is a great word. Um, and and opening your mind, having those conversations, and also keeping the college talk to like a day out of the week, <laughs> not making it take over your lives and not pushing your junior to choose a major, choose a college, answer all these questions, right? They have enough on their plate and they are probably putting a lot of pressure on themselves already. So I think those are some ways that parents can help. And then some parents just really find it difficult to get their teen to open up about those things. So in that case, you know, hiring someone like us might be a really good idea, um, or at least attending some webinars or listening to a podcast like ours um, on, on the regular with your student. Because even if they don't want to talk that much about things, but at least they read or listen to or watch certain things that could plant a seed of, hey, this doesn't have to be that scary. Again, the majority of colleges admit more than 50% of their applicants, right? Um, and, and really not putting those kinds of facts away as like, oh yeah, that's just what someone said, but really no one can get in anywhere. No, that's not the truth. So really looking at those myths and trying to bust those myths together or hiring someone who will help you bust those myths as a family, I think is very important. Yeah, myth busting is just such a great word on its own and I love applying it to this situation. It's just an, a really excellent example. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, guys, the, I, that. I don't mean to interrupt you, Lily, but I, something just popped into my brain. Um, what was said in the documentary that a, co a college admissions has become a commodity. It's the product, right? And I think that is that is the mindset we need to get away from if we want to um, help parents de-stress and help students de-stress, right? Because parents also, like you said, they have their students' best interest in mind. They are trying to help them succeed. And that's why I think we really need to redefine that, that definition of success and make it a lot more about growth rather than about the commodity of which college you got into. Yeah. And because it's an incredibly dangerous attitude as well. You've talked to me before about students who work very, very, very hard to get into a prestigious school and celebrate having done that and then crash because that feels like that's the product I got in and now I can just move in a straight line. I'm gonna coast. And that's just not how it works. And in the reverse, students who don't get in and that has a tremendously detrimental effect on their mental health. Um, so yes, I agree with that, absolutely. Um, I have one 
kind of last question for you guys uh, related to the documentary, but I'll, I'll quote it for you, don't worry. So at the end of Operation Diversity Blues, um, one person who's interviewed calls the indictment and the charges laid against the people involved a little bit of justice being served in a sea of injustice. Um, and the film seems to end with the feeling that this is like the crack in the wall and that prosecuting these people is the first step towards eradicating inequality in college admissions. It also says that Rick's side door into colleges is now closed. Um, that to me, when I, when I saw those kind of closing title slides at the end, that felt very optimistic. <laughs> They're like very overly optimistic because it's this very confident like finality that's like, we got the bad guys and it's not gonna happen again. So do you kind of agree or disagree with the projection, the projection that these scandals are, are going to stop happening, or at least that this is like the beginning of the end for college scandals? Well, I, yeah, I shared your kind of reaction to that, um, where, yeah, it just did feel pretty Hollywood, you know, pretty, pretty nice, neat Hollywood ending. And also, you know, that's a common feature of like biopics or, you know, like movies about uh, like biography movies, basically. Um, or anything that's you know based on a, a true story to some extent, those those end title cards like where are they now type thing, what happened? Usually, there's more than a year or two of time between before we're making those kinds of determinations. You know what I mean? These are usually like oh something that happened 30 years ago, and we can look back on it, and it's you know fairly safe to say what the outcome was. I don't think we can call the outcome of this yet. Um, it's it's very fluid. It's very ongoing. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean, on the other hand. Yeah, it was it was justice in a way. Um, it's interesting that he's, you know, able to be essentially an informant and not serve jail time right now himself. Um, that I thought that was an interesting point I hadn't really been totally clear on was, you know, I mean, at least the speculation at the end was he's going to be cooperating with authorities for until, you know, everyone who was involved in it is um, has been prosecuted themselves. And that could take a while. So, you know, in a way, it's like this this guy has freedom now um, because of the legal system, you know, and because of um, he, being able to help the, the authorities. So, I mean, I'm, I'm a little conflicted about that. I mean, part of me thinks anytime there's a big scandal like this and there's been, you know, years of work or maybe even just months, but, you know, uh, work building up to it. Well, that's a good thing. You know, obviously any measure of justice is good. Like to, to root out something like this is, is a positive. Um, he's not able to continue doing what he was doing. As far as the side door being closed, it's always possible as well that someone was watching that and got some ideas about how to reopen it, you know? Um, so I, I am not confident that there is not going to be any, um, you know, wrongdoing in the world of college admissions, um, you know? But I also think that that's pretty true of most areas of life. I, I feel like it's generally, you're not really going to find anywhere in life where there's no wrongdoing happening. Um, so, I mean, the way I guess I look at that is we just have to continue to, you know, uphold our own standards, um, do it the, the way we know is right. And I, and I do feel, and I think we've made this point, but just to kind of reiterate it, I do feel that the vast majority of the profession that we're in, the individuals who are independent educational consultants would never dream of, of these types of actions, you know, and um, would never even get close to it. So I do think that, you know, that, 
in general, the, the field is a positive development. I hope it continues to grow. Um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful to be a part of it. I, but you know, on the other side of it, I, you know, I don't, I don't think that this closes the book. I think that there are much bigger systemic issues that need to be addressed. Um, I think an interesting quote towards the end, um, was, that the atmosphere created in high wealth societies is part of the problem. Um, and within that same interview, the interviewee said, called it the re relentless pursuit of the trappings of power. I, I really like both of those quotes because I, you know, I think it, that does get at a lot of it. You know, there's, it's just much bigger than just one issue, um, you know, in terms of being able to fix things and make, um, make this aspect of our society, higher education and access to it, to make it more uh, fair, to make it, you know, something that doesn't lead to crushing disappointment and, you know, um, mental health struggles for students, which is an increasing, you know, um, development recently that is that is really sad to see. And I can't help but think that this is part of it, you know, and and not to say, to say nothing of, you know, actual criminal action. So um, I do think there's more that needs to be done. Definitely. This this does not close the book on anything. So I would not see it as an ending. And I think one of the quotes from the one of the dads, I for, forgot exactly his name, but he said, and, and this was from a wiretap, right? This is an actual quote. Um, pretty funny the way th the world works these days. It's unbelievable. And like, yeah, that's because it's not, honestly, it's not how the world works. Um, like how your world works, sir. Yeah. 99%, right. Of students applying to college, their world does not work that way. Um, so, so I do think that's something important to remember. Like when this came out, I think everyone was like, wow, who else is doing this? Like, is everyone doing this? And I mean, I've seen hundreds of students in the last few years. Um, and, and to my knowledge, none of them have done that. Um, and um, have we been asked to do some unethical things? Absolutely. I've been asked to write essays for students. And I point back to the clause in our contract that says, any written work must be the student's original work. We will never write essays for the student. This is in our contract, right? Um, have, have I been asked, oh, can I just, you know, I think I have Native American like 15,000 generations ago in my family. So can I put that? I'm like, well, do you know which tribe you are? And are you at least one eighth? Um, and they're like, well, oh, no, I don't, I don't know. Um, and so, you know, I always counsel my students, don't put a race or ethnicity that you are not or don't know anything about um, because you, you know, quote unquote, think it will get you in. Um, I've also heard, what if we make a donation to the school, will that get them in? So I have gotten these questions and I answer them very candidly. And I say, you know, what you do is up to you. But if we are talking about, you know, what is right and what is wrong and what is your student's path to college, here's what you guys should be doing. And that is focusing on your extracurriculars, getting your grades up, you know, talking to me about what can I write about in my essays? I will help you brainstorm. And then you get to write it in your own words, um, right? All of these things, like, let's talk about this stuff. And that's, let's not lie our way into our future. Um, and so, yeah, I just, you know, I, I don't think that this is very widespread, but me personally, because I don't think that many people could get away with that. I mean, if, you know, that would mean that they're like 20, fake athletes who never appear on a team. We wouldn't have any strong athletic teams anymore, you know, if this were super, super widespread. But are there probably other side doors that haven't been found out yet? 
Oh yeah, I'm I'm sure there's someone up to no good somewhere. I mean, there are three thousand colleges in the U.S., right? Um, and so there's always something and someone abusing a system somewhere. I'm sure, but um, I think that this plus the documentary um, and the way it's dramatized and everything and just the shock of people finding out that this was happening and on such a big scale. And a lot of people knew someone through someone, especially in our community. I mean, Rick Singer lived in Newport Beach. That's where we are, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. People knew people. Um, several people knew some of the the, the daughters, I remember, of um, the actress. And it was just crazy. And I so I think that if anyone was doing something similar, um, by this coming out and being exposed on such a large scale, hopefully, hopefully that scared them into either stopping, um, you know, or I mean, hopefully just stopping. So is there still a problem? Probably. There's always someone trying to get around something, but um, do I think this solved everything? No, but I, I do hope that it brought it to the forefront of people's attention that things have to change and that just getting in is not your ticket to successful adulthood at all. That's not how we get there, right? Um, so, so hopefully, although it's not a be all end all, hopefully this moved, started moving things in the right direction. But like I said, I think that really needs to trickle down to parents and teachers so that they can teach their kids, their students from a younger age, what the definition of growth and success could be for them that is not linked to prestige and prestige comes in many shapes and forms. Um, and one of them is the college you attend, um, which is not an indicating factor of professional success afterwards at all. And that was Momo, my cat meowing in the background. <laughs> Momo feels very passionately about this issue. I don't know if you knew. So yeah, he's outraged. He's, he's like, Rick, I, I hate that guy. <laughs> like, I applied to Yale. I didn't get into Yale. Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, it would have been yeah. way too competitive for him. So it wasn't a good fit anyway. <laughs> I, you know what? I also like that on a zoom call with people who love, who care about good writing and film that, that we have all these questions about college counseling and all of us, somehow we all wind up talking about like, this was really well cut or like, I like this sequence of words. <laughs> we have like stylistic questions about the whole oh. situation. We're storytellers, right? I mean, we help yeah. students tell their story, the real story of their real lives. I may, I, I just want to put that caveat on there. Yeah. Um, right. How do you tell your story? So yeah, that's definitely something that's super intriguing when you are a writer, a filmmaker and a college, edu college counselor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that ties it up for all of my questions that I have for you guys about this. Um, do you have any final thoughts or any advice that you'd like to give to students and parents before we head home? I would say embrace the conversation and embrace the options. Um, don't think just in black and white. Know that there's so much out there um, that you can explore and discover um, and, and you know, embrace that open-mindedly and, and expose yourself to those options together with your student. Um, go do some college visits, go to a college fair, talk to people who are in college admissions and see that they're actually very kind and welcoming people who really want you to succeed. So start those conversations, read, read that book, where you go is not who you will be by Frank Bruni and use that as a jumping off point to shift your definition 
um, and to of success um, and to have those conversations with your kid about what that means to them and what is it that's providing them with anxiety and stress so that you can work towards that as a family. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I want to just end with actually one more thing, uh, piece of myth busting, which is, you know, I think in, in a lot of what we've been talking about and, you know, if someone were to watch this documentary or read articles about it um, or other, other ways of taking in this idea as well, I think some students might get the idea that colleges are like some sort of, you know, foreboding, like Kafka-esque scary thing that's like out there to get you, you know, and like completely unattainable. And I, I completely understand that there are aspects of giant institutions that are scary. So I 100% sympathize with that. However, I wanna clarify that the people who work at these colleges, especially, or not especially, but including admissions, um, admissions staff are very human as well. And they generally want the best for students. They generally want to accept students. They don't wanna deny students, you know? So these decisions are not fun for them when they have to, um, you know, say no basically to a student. Um, they, they would like as many students as possible to be able to go there, but they have their own, um, you know, priorities that they have to follow or their own rules that they have to follow, you know? And a lot of these uh, admission staff are pretty young too, honestly. And I think they can relate a lot to, you know, they, it, it wasn't that long ago that they were in your shoes as a high school student. And I think they can relate a lot to the same pressures and the same challenges you've been through. So um, this, I guess, is just a segue to encouragement to when you, you know, if you are a student who is currently or will soon be, or down the road will be applying to colleges, just know that you can be yourself, you can be honest, you don't have to worry about, you know, that the person who's reading your application in your essays is like, you know, some scary, like unrelatable, you know, person sitting, you know, at a desk in a giant room, and you don't see their face. And just, I could keep tracing the scene out, but I'm not going to but you know, it's, it's hey, a human filmmaker, being. filmmaker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like setting here. the scene. Yeah. <laughs> the, the mise en scene. Um, but you know, I think um, it's just, I just, I just want to convey the idea that these are, these are people too, and they're relatable and, and they, uh, want to learn more about you, you know, and accept you to their school if they can. And they're usually pretty young, like they're not old, dusty people sitting in an office pouring over your app, right? Um, like on average, they're like 23 to 28 or so. So keep that in mind, you know, your audience will be receptive. They're probably of the same generation as you. 100%. Um, I also, I want to bring up um, an article actually that one of the leaders of our profession, his name is Dr. Stephen Antonoff, wrote a couple years ago when this was all happening. Um, I was lucky enough to take a class with him and, um, you know, we're, we're obviously only talking here about like a very, very small minority of parents. Um, and so something he wrote in this article that's entitled Lessons from the College Admissions Scandal bribes and phony credentials versus great college planning advice. He published it on medium.com in March of 2019 um, and talks a lot about all of these behaviors. And, um, you know, he, he wraps up his article by saying every parent wants the best for their child, but the best quote unquote varies for every student. Most parents don't want their children to feel as if they were not good enough to get into college on their own. Most parents recognize the difference between having an IV decal on the back window of their vehicle versus finding an enriching life 
life-changing collegiate experience for their son or daughter. Most parents don't believe that their status in life, earnings, or fame entitles their children to be admitted to an elite college. Those parents and their children who do buy into the quote-unquote dream school concept are only setting themselves up for disappointment. The real dream school is one that provides students with opportunities to grow and develop, to stretch their wings and open themselves up to new concepts and to learn about themselves and other people and the world itself. So I, I guess I just wanted to stress that, you know, we, we are deep believers in, in everything he writes in this article and that, you know, we don't want to call out all parents for thinking one way or another that this is really just a small minority, but it kind of gives everybody a bad name who's involved, right? So um, yeah, thanks. Thank you all very much. I really appreciate the time that you've spent to talk to me about this. And I feel good about how well you've defended college counseling as a profession and, and in people's lives. So like I said, I appreciate it very much and uh, talk to you soon. Thank you, Lily. Thanks for listening. As we continue to produce episodes of this podcast, you can follow along on our website, www.strivetolearn.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stay tuned for future episodes, and don't forget to subscribe. We'd appreciate any support you can give, including likes, downloads, shares, and good reviews. Got something you want to learn about? Ask us questions in the comments, or DM us on Instagram at strivetolearntutoring. Get the latest updates on the college admissions world and be the first to receive exclusive offers when you subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, www.strivetolearn.com. Thanks for sticking around, and I'll see you next time.